0: Titled Valor Morgulis. What do you got to say before we get this started?
1: Hey, man, not much. I think the talking TV audience. And-
0: So we're here. Game of Thrones season two finale. Things are also heating up, I would also like to say, in the world of television as well. We got the primetime Emmys tonight because somehow they managed to cobble together enough shows to actually have an Emmys this year for all of the five shows that we got during COVID. Um, What's it called? You know, we got Succession coming back in a couple of weeks. Like things are really starting to heat up in the television space as we continue to build on our road towards the Game of Thrones finale And towards House of the Dragon. So we're here at the season two finale. And I feel like the biggest takeaway already is just what a different feeling this is from the first season finale. Like we wrapped up season one. It was more so you're like, wow, that was kind of a long road, but like the ending, like it feels incredibly satisfying because we got this awesome build-up and this awesome payoff to like all of this long, long build-up. And here it's almost like wow, it's almost like a breath of relief. Like there was so much shit that happened this season. We got like at least double the amount of new characters to come in. We had like double the (laughs) storylines.
1: Dom, uh, was that sort of a a joke there with the, uh, using the S word because this episode, it might've been full. It might've been, literally yeah we get we get it in the second scene like
0: in the second scene but so the way that we're going to do this tonight is that rather than do by last how we did last season where we did it by breaking down like kind of each characters wrap up to the journey, we had a lot of characters that were wrapping up their journey so we're primarily going to hit it by setting and primarily like the focus character on each setting and of course we're kicking it off tonight, but before we do, I should say that, of course, the title of this of this episode comes from the ancient Valyrian phrase that is used by the Barbossi. It directly translates to "All men must die." It's a common phrase used amongst the Barbosi, and also it's kind of a signature go-to phrase amongst the faceless men. Obviously, it's what Jacken tells Arya when he gives her the coin that he that 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 will later come and pay off at some point two seasons down the road. But uh, Pat, you want to get this going?
1: Yeah. I don't even think it pays off two seasons down the road. It's like, it's a teaser to seasons down the road. That's right. And, that, and then that, that's the third kind of season is when it actually comes up. So, yes. It, hey, I can't wait for it. It's, it's good stuff.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. But so we, man, we, we finished the season. It's crazy. like, before we get into it, just like what are your thoughts on this season, just in general, like how it compared to the first season with just like, there, there was a lot of stuff that happened this season.
1: Yeah. I, I will say that season two is really awesome compared to season one. It, it like, Tyrion and dealing with King's Landing and having all the intrigue that's taking place uh, really separates the two seasons from each other. Ned Stark really can't navigate that world, and therefore he, he almost just gets steamrolled the entire time, and it's sort of a tragic season Uh, for the Starks. But here comes Tyrion and he's shaking things up and he's making things happen that need to happen. And, you know, people are basically ungrateful for it. And, you know, hey, it's really packed with drama uh, this particular season. What I will say is going forward in the next couple seasons when the budget kind of keeps going up, uh, season two is going to pale in comparison to what we got coming next.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, like this is like I said last week, Blackwater really does just scratch the surface as far as the increased budget that this show sees going forward. Because again, we have only this is only the beginning. Like we got the Battle of the Wall coming, we've got the Dragon Pit coming. We've got the White Walker attacking hardcomb coming. Like the, the budget is about to be upped on this show in ways that television had not seen before. But let's get into this episode. Let's wrap up the myriad of storylines that we have to cover. So we start off King's Landing, have the opening shot, Tyrion wakes up after the battle he sees grandmaster pysel fresh out of jail is standing over him kind of you know trading barbs back at him you know saying like oh throws him a coin for his troubles he immediately screams to padrick you know obviously not trusting the situation he's in a different room he doesn't know what's going on and of course he probably yeah, I, I think
1: the coin part is the best thing we have going that, on. That was a good payoff. That was it, you a good know, little it, payoff it, right there. Yeah, essentially it's like all this work you did through season 2 saving the realm making sure Joffrey is, you know, still king that the Lannisters still have power. He, all that stuff that he's done for them. And all he gets is some sort of coin, right. which you know he's accustomed of throwing around uh, throughout the you know entire series at this point, um, you know. So it kind of turns around on him, and it's like he gets discarded just like he has discarded people in the past.
0: You know, what it reminds me of it reminds me of whatever like you know low income workers at like a factory like want to raise or just like you know a little bit more time off, and the best they get is a pizza party. It's kind of what it feels like there. You know, <laughs> I'm not speaking from personal experience there at all, but I, I do find it interesting as as like the comparison because there's a lot of t- comparisons that go on this season with Tyrion to Ned Stark in the last season and it's like wow he did all of this stuff and th- he gets a demotion and he basically gets belittled and kind of has to shoulder the blame for all the bad stuff that Joffrey kind of brought on everyone this season and it's almost like wow it's like why did I do this again I was wondering I'm like wow at the very least Ned like lost his head you know it's like I'm constantly at-, at a loss it's like who got it worse like Ned or Tyrion as far as like kind of their treatment after their respective turn as hand of the king but later well, Tyr- on,
1: Tyrion knows how to, you know, navigate these waters. So he's able to hang in there longer. And as we'll see over the next, uh, you know, season and a half, it doesn't get really that much better for him. It really doesn't. Uh, but he, he basically stays alive and that's all he has to do.
0: Yeah, that, I, I don't think they wrote the song staying alive for him, but I do find it interesting. I had this written as a point in my notes here, which is that even though the Lannisters win, uh the Battle of Blackwater. Tyrion still loses, and I I feel, I feel like that's like the most fitting, accurate phrase. And it just the, the things keep piling on him. Varys comes and tells him he's like Bronn's been demoted from the from the leader of the Kings, from the leader of the City Watch. Um, Tyrion's no longer hand of the King. His dad has sent the hill tribesmen home, and Tyrion has nothing but Shay to, to console him. There, you know. And yeah. as we're gonna see in the next season, like things things are all this is only the beginning. Like things are only gonna get worse for Tyrion from here yeah. on out. I,
1: I think the main thing that you know, has happened here is Varys has basically, uh, er, you know, uh, our Tyrion has earned Varys's respect Yes. and, you know, they're allies now and they're able to talk to each other sort of more bluntly than before. Yes. And I think, you know, Tyrion has sort of gotten this, um, you know, ally that he didn't have before. And I think that's really what he's gained for saving King's Landing.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And then we later move into the throne room scene with, oh man, can we just, can we just talk about this shot for a second? Like, why, why is it necessary? I'm sorry. Like, is, just, if we're just talking about the logistics of that shot of Tywin riding the horse into the throne room, it's like, and the, like, the, so the horse takes a shit in the middle of the screen, like, right before he walks in. And, like, they, they, it's not like a quick blinker you'll miss a moment. You know, like You're There was a full, like, two-second pause where it hovers on the horse's legs as they drop the fucking droppings right onto the floor before he walks yeah. in. And what like, I, what, I, what I
1: will say, Dom, um, you're a little uh, erratic here with all the expletives, but uh, what I will say is uh, this don't seems get it. to be I don't a get very – it's immature filmmaking, in my my opinion. It's like, hey, let's just have this thing. Wouldn't it be funny? You know, sure, in a child this way, I think it's funny. But like, at the end of the day, I'd rather it not be in my television.
0: Yeah, I don't get it. It's it, it's one of the it's one of the most confusing things I think I've ever seen on screen. I'm just like, why did this need to be there? But I, I don't know. It's like what, just so Tywin can show off his. Power, as far as like, okay, he's in charge again. Like, I'm like, I feel like there are like a couple different ways that you could have showed that. You know, like this is Tywin Lannister we're talking about. He's only like the most powerful man in the Seven Kingdoms for at least four seasons. But um, yeah, it's
1: also dumb it's really weird because at the end of uh last week's episode uh Tywin comes in on foot and he's like I've won the day right. and everything. And then, you know, here it is the second scene and now Joffrey's on the throne and Tywin's coming in again to, you know, get his uh, you know, welcome uh, you know, hey, you won the war for us type of here you're the hand uh, uh you know, of the king. And it's it's to me it's really odd. That they went from you know ending last week's episode with him entering the throne room and then again having a brand new scene where he enters it for a second time. Right.
0: This time on a and horse.
1: Yeah, and it's 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 really strange uh, where they put those two scenes because uh, it seems rather redundant and almost unnecessary. It's like, oh hey, you're the you're the hand of the king, and then he just sort of exits, and then you know hey, let's talk about Lord Baelish, let's talk about uh, you know the Tyrells, where the Tyrells, you know. It's it's really Tywin didn't need to be in that scene at all. Like at all, opinion. He could have just had the pin and been. you right. know, uh, basically. Yeah, see, like over Tywin Jaffray. didn't even need
0: to be there. Just in general, It's like he was already handed the king from the beginning. Tyrion was literally just his stand-in. You know, I almost felt like it would have been like almost more powerful if he wasn't there. Like, wow, okay, so he's already gotten to ruling like that quickly. You know, it's like we we almost didn't kind of need this show of force and pomp and circumstance. So, like, I mean, hey, you know, Betty and Weiss did say that it's like, hey, you know, this was literally our film school, and I guess it shows because in scenes like these, it's clear that they have no idea what the fuck they're doing. But I just wanted to shout out Eric because Eric just said. We actually get another win for the show because ironically enough, Septa Unella, the actress who plays her, Hannah Waddingham just won the Emmy for supporting actress for comedy for Ted Lasso. So congrats, Septa Unella! I still think that's like one of the funniest things ever. When I found out that that was Septa Unella. I'm like, where do-? I'm like, where-, where? does Rebecca from Ted Lasso, why does she look so familiar that I realized I'm like, Oh, that's the nun that tortured Cersei. That makes so much sense now. But anyway, that was just a brief little side distraction. So obviously Joffrey rewards little finger. For you know, for bringing the Tyrells into the fold by making him the Lord of Hall. you can see Varys is just off the side. Varys just looks disgusted in this scene. He's like, okay, like this, this is too much for little Littlefinger is getting too much power. Something needs to be done, and of course, they make the big grandiose statement. You know, that to um to Marjorie, they're like, you know, she's like, oh, I've come to love you from afar. You know, it's, it's like turning on just a full. Natalie Dormer's sex appeal playing to Joffrey's weaknesses, and of course Joffrey. I find it interesting here that Joffrey is like still willing to like maintain his vow to Santa. I'm assuming that just comes from his like absolutely despicable mind of just like wanted to keep her in his employee for nothing else than to torture her. Yeah, to
1: me, Dom, this scene was particularly played out in a nice way because it seemed like it was totally rehearsed between Joffrey, uh, Cersei, and basically uh, Pycelle. Uh, Pycelle. Yeah. So for the most part, it's like they had to say these things uh, basically to drop Sansa and to allow for Marjorie to happen. And, you know, this is sort of something I wish they played up a little more. Maybe Tywin sort of set this in motion and, you know, fed them their lines. So that they would end up with this betrothal uh, between Marjorie and Joffrey, but they didn't go that route. It's sort of just like on the surface, right? Uh, your mind can take you to that spot, like it did mine. Uh, but you know, it's it's very crafty. Uh, it does feel la- very the, rehearsed. Yeah, the language that's happening in this throne room scene.
0: I could just imagine Tywin, like off to the side, just being like the guy, just like the key PA, just like feeding him the line, just be like, okay, now you say this. I could just imagine like just Tywin off in the corner doing that role. But obviously, Joffrey ends up coming around. He's like all right you know the the vow was made before uh they before the starks portray them so i'll happily take marjorie's hand in marriage you know sansa is just thrilled she's like yeah i don't have to marry joffrey i you know the the happy day happy happy day and of course little figure comes around the corner and is like you you know that just because you're not marrying him anymore doesn't mean that you're out of the fire yet you know and it kind of like brings her back down to reality uh, a little bit there
1: yeah he uses the phrasing you know he's unlikely to give up his playthings, right? You yeah. Know, so it's one of those things where Sansa's fate is definitely still locked in to be pretty terrible. And and maybe Even worse than before, because you know the whole fact that she's supposed to be the queen is not something that can protect her anymore.
0: Right, definitely. If anything, she's in a more vulnerable position now than she was before. Because at the very least, before she was gonna be the queen, but now it's like, what happens now? But of course, this is kind of the beginning of like the Littlefinger Sansa saga that like takes us through the rest of the series all the way up to his demise until season seven, where he promises to bring her home again. Just beginning, like it's really weird. Littlefinger is a problematic character to say the least when it comes to like his appetites. If you will, and like, it's kind of interested up because she reminds him of Catlin. Like, ugh, it, it, it's just weird. It's just weird. Is all that I'm gonna say. Yeah, I
1: don't think they explore that as much. Definitely like, not. You know, I
0: feel like that's one of those things that they were setting up to like be really explored in the books once like Littlefinger's kind of whole plan in the books was revealed, which by the way is completely different than his plan in the show.
1: Yeah, I think here it's like, you know, they play with that tension. Uh, it doesn't really ever pay off in the entire series. But the main thing is, you know, now he has Harrenhal, Uh He's going to also orchestrate her escape and, you know, basically go and maintain more territories. Like he's basically an up and comer and he's trying to uh, become a power in the realms. And, you know, this is how he's going to try to ascend to the Iron Throne. And he knows that it's, um, you know, he's playing a longer game. Game, uh, than most of the people in the series.
0: Yes, indeed. And you know who's playing the same long game and absolutely despises that? Varys. Because last thing we're going to talk about with King's Landing is Varys. This is the beginning. Oh, man, poor Ra. The-, the other thing, too, is this episode officially sets up and solidified. It's like, okay, all of these characters are going to die. You know, not in this ep- particular episode, but all these characters are going to die because we get it. It's like, okay, so we know, obviously, Corin is going to die. We know all these Night's Watch members are going to die. We know Rob is going to die. We know Stannis is going to die at some point. And poor Ra's. Poor Raz. she came to King's Landing to escape in order to just, you know, because she knew that that's where all the drama was going to be. And who knew that she was marching right towards her death? Because, of course, well, I
1: think I think it's definitely Raz, you know, went there because that's, you know, all the men were going south right. for war. So all the work was going to migrate south and right. You know, and then she gets there and she becomes, uh, you know, pretty powerful. I guess not really powerful, but really uh, popular, right. and really high up there in Littlefinger's uh, establishments. And therefore, her life is not as bad as it was, uh, you know, being in Winterfell doing the same job. But, you know, for the most part, yeah, it's it's not working out for her because she's uh, just disposable. And Joffrey taught her that. And, you know, it's it's yeah. basically is. Trying to bargain a deal and say, hey, you know, your employment with Lord Baelish is going to get you killed, but you know, I like to protect my, you know, um, you my know, investment,
0: em- if you
1: will, but he's saying, he saying. it in
0: so many words, if we're being frank here.
1: Yeah. But as, as we all know, you know, those of us that have definitely watched the show and, and this is a, a spoiler show. So, uh, if you don't know, now, you know, uh, I know. Var- Varys is not <laughs> going to help her nope. in any way. Not one man. Uh, it, it just leads to her demise, which I, I don't know happens in the third season. I believe.
0: Oh yeah, it does, and it's a it's a gruesome demise to say the least. But Varys is definitely like, all right, Littlefinger's got a little bit too much power. Time to time to start market checking him. Time to do something. That doesn't work out in the long run. I'm not quite sure. We'll see. But so. That's pretty much it for for the King's Landing of it all. So we got a quick couple of solo scenes next. So next obviously we switch to the Riverlands. We've got two major scenes that happen here. The first one obviously is Brienne and Jamie kind of there kind of continuing on their journey that's going to kind of define them for the next season on their way to King's Landing. Obviously one of my favorite pairings on the sleigh that of course gets bastardized like amongst everything else in the last season. They uh, they come across these uh these women that you know these um what the, as as Jamie says uh, you know these women of the night, uh, tavern girls that were hung by Stark soldiers, obviously. And Brienne makes it very clear that she serves Catelyn Stark, not the Starks themselves. She goes to cut down the, down the girls. Unfortunately, three Stark soldiers happen upon them. Jamie does his best in order to help her out and cover up for them. Jamie, a surprisingly willing to go along with the flow uh, prisoner. You know, he's not trying to, like, make a mess for everything because he knows that, you know... Anything that goes bad for her is going to go bad for himself. And, of course, the Starks, they almost get away with the two. Their story, they come up with is pretty convincing. But, unfortunately, the one Stark soldier recognizes Jamie from the Battle of Whispering Wood. Brienne is forced to kill the Stark soldiers, almost in a way that, like, surprises Jamie even when she kills that last soldier.
1: When she well, tries- yeah, oh. didn't they come up in the conversation that they kill two fast and they kill one slowly? and yes. so, so Brienne s- turns it on them right. and basically kills two of the other guys quickly and then is like, hey... I killed too quickly. Now yep. it's. You two know. girls
0: fast, right? I think is the word yeah, yeah, yeah. that you use. I like the one shot where she pulls out the two swords at once and slices the guy's throat. That was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it's pretty uh, high action in this sequence. Yeah. And, you know, I think that it sells the lovability of this pairing uh, as we go into the third season. So I uh, definitely, Brienne and Jamie are uh, a, one for the pa- ages. a pairing. Uh, That we're going to learn to love, you know, if we don't love them already, uh, throughout the sort of remainder of the series.
0: Absolutely, and again, it's it's more primarily a setup scene, but it's one that I'm again, it it gives us some really, really probably one of the best story arcs that we get next season. And then, of course, the other major scene of the Riverlands is Arya, Arya. Gendry and Hot Pie after fresh, after escaping from Heron Hall. They're walking through the Riverlands. And of course, Arya sees Jackin. She goes up to him. She's like, How did you find me? And he's like, Everything that I've done, and these are the questions that you're asking. It's almost like he's reminding her. It's like, Yeah, you kind of did majorly fuck up this entire time this season. But she kind of really comes to her senses and she realizes, Hey, you can do all this stuff. You've got to teach me how to do it. And he's like, Come with me to Bravo. Sure. You'll do that. And she almost says, She's like, I want to. I really want to. But I got to find my mother and I got to find my brother first. I got to help them in some way first. You know, at this point, it's like, I don't know. It's really weird because Aria's Arya's heart is still in the right place, but her mind quite isn't. You know, it's kind of a matter of it's like, I don't, but also I'm not a fan of what Jaqen does here because what Jaqen does here is kind of like complete uh, counterbalance to what we see of him later on. Of course, there is also the implication that the Jaqen that we meet later on in season five could be a completely different character than the Jaqen that we see now because obviously it's proven it's officially like, if it wasn't already obvious here, he is a faceless man. You know, the the faceless men do not have one set identity that they revolve everything around. It's part of the reason why Arya has such a hard time adjusting there. But obviously he... The, yeah, this, I, I
1: don't think it's something that they really uh, develop in the series. It's It remains a mystery because the Jaqen we know in season two definitely doesn't match the Jaqen that we sort of learn about later in season, I believe, five and, and uh, six. Right. And, you know, it's one of those things where this idea that, you know, once you become a part of the Faceless people, uh, the identities are passed around. And therefore, you know, are you ever really uh, who you are anymore? And, you know, that that's one of the things that they never really played with at the end of the series is, is this really Arya or is this just someone um, that basically has come back to Westeros to uh, you know, pay back all the the wrongs that was. Done to Aria because Arya's uh, personality is part of the Faceless Men. It
0: would and definitely make sense. It would definitely make a lot of sense. It's like, because that, that does not seem like Arya in those last two seasons. You know. Yeah,
1: but at, at the end of the day, you're you're talking about Arya like hanging out with them, and you know, oh, I love you, family, and right. You know, that's that's sort of like. I wish there was a little more tension between Arya and the other Starks when she returns. Yeah, um, but that's that's a story for another time. I'm getting yep. ahead of myself. Yeah. Once um, we get to the it, last
0: two seasons, and how problematic that
1: are. Yeah, right now we basically have, you know, the teaser that there's something much bigger for Arya, uh but she's not ready to sort of cross that right. threshold and you know, that's not going to happen like I said in the beginning. Definitely. Another, not. Yeah, uh, she's gotta, she got she needs at least two seasons, plus. at least
0: two seasons with with the brotherhood and then with the Hound first, you know, kind of Yeah,
1: she's got to grow a little bit before yeah. she uh basically goes in on her journey to find uh, the faceless man.
0: Yeah, definitely. Ari went through a lot this season, but and though I will say that she made a lot of mistakes, but she definitely, I will say, learned a lot as far as on her journey. And it ends with Jack and say that this is not where you must part. But, but he gives her the bravosi coin, and it's like, you ever want to find me again in Bravos, just give that coin to any man from Bravos and utter the words. Valamorgulas as in the title of the episode. Again, it's this ancient bravosi phrase that kind of connects all of them because the bravosi obviously they worship the many-faced god, so they kind of have this understanding, this relationship, this understanding of death that a lot of Westerosi just people don't in general do. They kind of almost embrace it in a way that like most people in general are are scared of it, you know. And so it's ve- it's very interesting, kind of how it's like, okay, you can just get some random schlub off the street, but if they've got the coin and the phrase, hey, immediate free passage to bravos. hey, I would love it if something like that actually existed in the real world. Well, that would just make traveling for me a lot easier. You just go up to any random guy and just like, "Hey, here's this coin," and then you give them a phrase. And they're like, "Cool, hop in this car. You're totally cool in our book." You know, I just, I, I, I love how simpler things were in like ancient medieval times. Yeah. You well, know? it's a,
1: a secret society type thing that right. uh, people from Brava subscribe to, and they know about it. So uh, that's something again that they don't really explore in the series. Uh, specifically, even though Aria gets there and does her, you know, uh, what is it? She starts screaming about cockles and, and clams. Like oh, and yeah, oyster,
0: oysters, of clams, and cockles. <laughs> yeah. Oysters, um, clams, and cockles. So, so
1: like, they, they focus on her being, you know, a seafood uh Yeah. Know, a cart, seafood cart kind of girl, But they don't really explain too right. much of the uh, connection between the faceless man and the city. Right. And have, you know, if she's doing all this thing, this training in that right. city, like, why is there no. Uh, it, was, it was almost like, kind of. Like, it,
0: it was, you know what it screamed? It was the definition to me of like, oh, wrap it up, wrap it up. We got to get her back to Westeros. We got to have her help out in the fight against the White Walkers. Wrap it up. Because again, her arc inexplicably yeah. leads and her killing the Night King. Okay. Uh, I
1: don't know. Again, we're we're dwelling we're getting, on get, this. But it's one of those things. This this is definitely a great seed. It's planted well. Uh, it takes a while for it to grow and get to where it needs to go. And I think that's one of the strengths um, of this series is that it's able to bring things up early and have, you know, Jackin is pretty significant in season two. And we know about this character. We know about this, you know, mystery and it's able to be put on the back burner for two and a half seasons. And, uh, once they slide back into it, it seems effortless. Absolutely. So I, I think this is one of those things where the show does know how to, uh, put things into the universe, put them on the back burner and bring them back uh, almost seamlessly. Right. Um, you know what is not seamless
0: status um, and the fact no, that he just, that he doesn't know when to quit. He doesn't know when to call it quits like Jesus. He just suffered like the biggest loss of his life. And he's still going to try and come back from that. Like, well, well
1: I, I think Melisandre's, uh, you know, uh, sales pitch here. Oh man. Uh, Worst great, sales
0: pitch. You know? I, I guess, but like I'm, like, I'm sorry. If I was a rational man, I'd be like, look, I bet my entire, everything on you. And this happened. like,
1: yeah, so Stannis is basically oh I lost the I lost
0: everything, and now I'm strangling and, you because
1: I'm mad. Yeah, so he wants to yeah he wants to strangle her. He's done, and and she just goes yeah the Lord's in you,
0: the Lord's in and you. So, <laughs> he's
1: like oh 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 oh, oh man. That's so, what like, kind of
0: lets him go. I'm just kind of like what <laughs> she
1: she she plays to his ego, and it's like you're the Lord, and you know or whatever it's it, it's in you, whatever, and I, it's very surprising that he ha- has an about face. And essentially is like, oh, hey, you know, this, th- this could work. And she's like, look into the flames with me. And he looks into the flames. And he's like, I-, I got it. I, I understand.
0: It. I see it. You now. know, So hey, I will scene- say that flame strike that works. It worked on the Hound in season seven. So like that shit, that does work. Like those red priestesses, they can conjure up stuff in the fire.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's one of those things where, uh, Stannis in this particular, uh, episode is very minute. It's basically the, I've lost the battle and and like things are going poorly. And why didn't you predict or predict this? And, you know, it's like, well, no, this is just one battle. Uh, the war is going to be fought over years. Thousands will die. And, you know, this, uh, prediction, uh, I think it really sets up the, the you know, idea, the trouble of, you know, the Night King uh, north of the Wall coming down. The fact that Melisandre is saying that this is going to be lasting for years. And, you know, it, for the most fact, uh, part, it does. And, you know, every season that we watch, the war keeps on going. It's yes. extended. Uh, It it seems never ending. So again, this is another seed that's planted where, you know, even though Melisandre might be wrong in terms of who the Lord of Light, you know, is backing ultimately. uh, The one thing that's very interesting here is that you're telling the audience uh, that this war is almost endless. And no matter, you know, what happened at Blackwater and the fact that the Tyrells and Lannisters combined, this war is not over and it will continue. More people will die. And therefore, you know, the night King as, as it grows as a character in this series, uh, is going to be very, very problematic. Um, you know what else is going to be problematic, Dom?
0: Uh, Rob and his, and his marriage to Talisa. <laughs> yeah. Because so, damn, so, you want to talk about another man. instance where everyone is just telling him, it's like, dude, you are making a mistake here. Dude, I, and I love, I love him too. I, can we just talk about this for a second? I love him too. The only justification that he has for Catelyn telling him that he fucked up and made a mistake is, oh, you were reckless by letting the Kingslayer go. And I'm like, Bro, yeah.
1: well, well, this is his justification, right? It's like, yeah, you know, my my daddy's dead.
0: Ever, it's like my dad's dead. I don't know where my home is. I don't know how I feel. He's, he's being an angsty teen. He's pulling a John's. It's so ironic that, like, yeah. the minute that John actually starts to grow up, Rob immediately becomes an angsty teen. And gives it gives into his woes and it's like I want to have sex because I haven't had it in forever.
1: Yeah, and Rob is is basic. I don't know if it's all about the lust there, Dom. But
0: uh, I don't know. You know. It seems pretty.
1: Yeah, maybe but it's also love it's it's the person he wants to spend his time with you know i don't i don't know if it's all about uh you know just uh you know the lust uh i think it's a passion of like being together and and chasing that love and you know whatever it's it's much more than just uh you know the act in the bedroom yeah but for the most part it's one of those things where he's his main justification that he tells Catelyn is hey you arranged this marriage and that's why i don't want it
0: that, when, yeah, when had, you it's know, like, and it's,
1: and it's like, him like I
0: arranged this marriage so that I could get you a fucking bridge so that we could get to King's Landing and, and, and win this war. You know? It's like don't don't throw that back in my face, but whatever. He doesn't want to listen. He's a king now. He's officially got it. He it's gone to his head, is what's yeah. happening here. This,
1: listen, this if if you're gonna arrange a marriage, uh, make sure that you uh, have a priest nearby and
0: you yeah. make sure it happens. Make, make, well, make, sure Walter soli- make sure that it's written and signed in stone, and make sure also that apparently Rob sees the girl because he's like, I I have to marry a girl that i've never even met before yeah let-
1: they should have never crossed that bridge no. uh, or walter fray should have never let them cross that bridge without the marriage but absolutely so, hey, you know listen it is what it is you know rob is going to make uh the worst decision of his life he's going to sign his death warrant here literally in, uh the end of season two And, you know, I think it's one of those things. This show does a really good job of like showing you characters that don't play the game. And this is, this is it. This is my thesis, you know, Rob basically, you know, arranged or agreed to this marriage. He's going to say no, and he's going to do complete opposite thing, marry, you know, in secret and, you know, chase the woman that he loves. And ultimately at the end of the day, if, if you don't know at, in, in this episode, that Rob's days are numbered in the
0: show. That you clearly uh, haven't been watching the same show that we have.
1: Exactly. I don't. I don't know what else uh, to tell you. But yeah. it, it's it's only a matter of time before his bad decision making um, that that has basically come, um, you know, out of nowhere. It's it's he's been winning the war, so to speak.
0: Right. Uh, well, well, and, well, what's the phrase and, that they use next season? It sees one every battle, but he's losing the war.
1: Exactly. So it, it's one of those things where he can't. He's winning battles, but he's not gaining any real uh, ground. Right. You know, and so he's just aimlessly going around killing a bunch of Lannisters. And And honestly, I'm not going to lie.
0: I'm not going to lie. It's one of those things where it's like, I know that obviously it's like, you know but like the the other Northerners, they aren't necessarily wrong when they say that Rob lost his way because this is the, this is officially like the solidifying fact that where he went South with kind of this great, like kind of, you know, justifiable, you know, hoorah, like, yeah, we're going to bring honor and glory and we're going to bring independence back to the North and we're going to avenge all the wrongs that the South has done to us. And now he's just kind of, Dolloping around, like falling for girls, not breaking his vows, like not focusing on what needs to be done. Like, kind of, it's like everything that he's heard, every, like, it's like the minute that, like, between kind of them losing Renly as a potential ally, him meeting Talisa, the Greyjoys taking the North, and then. Um, and then, ja- and then, Cat letting Jamie go in an act of desperation. It's like all of these things are happening to him, and he's realizing that maybe his foothold. But it's almost like the the worst part is that he's losing his foothold, and he doesn't realize it. He still thinks that he's in this big position of prominence, and again, it's going to come back to bite him in the oh, worst way sure. possible. Because again, as we've been hinting at, next season is red wedding season, so all y'all yeah. better get ready for it.
1: Listen, all I know is that uh, Rob, ultimately, in hindsight. Should have probably retreated to the north. He should have solidified his bannermen because you know um, his father just died. They rallied the cause. Like people did come to their banner, uh, but you got to think about like the idea that you know Ned Stark died, and you are a new sort of leader, and not everybody's going to be behind you, and they're going to be judging you, and they're going to be looking for ways to pick at your power and become free themselves. And so I don't think Rob plays that game. He just assumes and takes it for granted that all the bannermen are behind him. And I think this is one of the the tricks that the show plays on us, uh, that Lord Bolton basically understands that this is his moment to seize power. And yes, he, he gets the confidence of Rob and he starts playing Rob behind the scenes and he just waits it out and makes his move. And, you know, ultimately... If it was, if it wasn't for Rob taking everyone in the north south and uh, you know basically leaving the homeland unguarded, uh, you know basically Rob could have maintained Winterfell, could have maintained order in the north, and basically the uh, you know the sort of the separation between King's Landing and the north, you know the south and the north uh, could have been you know lifetimes, uh, you know it basically just a civil war. Um, maybe no major battles, maybe it's literally just like, um, skirmishes on the border. But the main thing is, uh, the whole idea of going down there for justice and, uh, you know, killing the Lannisters and seeking revenge, basically it petered out and they just continued going for it. And I think that's one of the reasons why, uh, Rob really ends up in the grave, uh, the way he does,
0: absolutely. And so, of course, now we cut. I'm speaking of back up north. We cut up back up north to Winterfell, and oh, Theon! Oh, oh, poor Theon! Poor, poor you know, Theon! The-
1: Theon has the greatest speech ever, especially ever. when it's he's
0: hilarious. It's like, amazing. Uh,
1: Yeah. Like, first of all,
0: (laughs) after they knock him out, where they just like, I thought he would never shut up. And he's like, it was a good speech. I wanted to let him finish. You know, it's like, I wanted to let him have his moment. Well,
1: it's the trumpeteer that starts the sequence, right? right? You know, it's it's, the Northmen are outside. They're blowing a trumpet, siege tactics. Theon's losing his mind because he can't sleep. It's it's too, too noisy. He's like, I will kill that whole...
0: Lewin, Lewin is basically Lewin is giving him like some pretty damn good advice right now. He's like, Look, you have no choice. He's like, You got 50 men. They got over 200. They got over 500. There is no way you're winning this. It's like, Retreat, get out of here, head north to the wall, take the black. All your crimes will yeah. be forgiven. He's again, like, Yeah. And have John, kill me. Like,
1: yeah. Again, this is this is another example of uh, people not playing the game properly because Lewin gives him the whole playbook. You know, you're going right. to do this, you're going to do that. You know, he's he's like, Basically Lu Lewin, uh, Lewin
0: pulling a Bill Belichick right here.
1: Yeah, he's talking into uh you know, I guess this is a data reference but Tom Brady's ear. I guess it's Mac Jones' now, but <laughs> yeah, um,
0: right?
1: You know, he's talking to Mac Jones here which is Theon and you know, he's an unproven uh guy and 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 Theon is not listening to his advice and he's not really pushing his team forward. Uh you know, so uh the main thing is uh Theon says the hell with Lewin. We're going to fight anyway. It kind of jump cuts to him, you know, out in the courtyard, like we're going to do it and we're going to kill them all. And, you know, are we're gonna die and and people are gonna honor us? It's it's really Shakespearean, um, in terms of like Henry V, like Band of Brothers, like uh, we're gonna, you know, it's it's really well done, uh, in terms of like a recall to that famous Agincourt scene. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, it, it's it's one like of those it's like a where very bastardized version of that speech.
0: Kind of, yeah. And it's almost like it's almost like Theon is like admitting his desperation. He's he's almost like coming to terms with the fact. He's like, yeah, I am most likely gonna die. But he almost like understands. It's like, yeah, at this point, dying is like kind of quite literally my only option because my options are literally run and then be mistreated by my family for the rest of my life and probably killed by them for being a traitor and a coward or be run somehow make it to the wall you know and then have john kill me you know and, and then yeah. or or and what, even what, if i do have to do it john live with the shame of killing those two farm boys for the rest of my life like, either way it's like this is just a perfect solidifying factor of the fact yeah. that theon is screwed no matter what direction he goes in
1: and what does he say about killing the trumpeteer? He's you're gonna be like memorized in gold Yeah, Yeah, he's the, the like he's like whoever killed like that.
0: that fucking horn will be forever crassized and and like the hordes of pike or something like that. Something fire like yeah, yeah, formulated. So, so
1: ridiculous. And then it cuts to this nice close up shot, you know, like shoulders up and he just raises his sword and he's yeah, just like And
0: the dagger's like boop, yeah, it's like a, it's like a, like yeah, a three-scooter just well, well, like knocks him on the head.
1: Exactly, but his eyes are bugging out and he's just screaming like, oh, yeah. great overacting. it's great
0: overacting. by Almy Yeah, Allen, by it's, the
1: way. it's perfect. And, you know, it's it's quite possibly the music the is best...
0: building up. Like, everyone's getting amped up. Everyone's cheering. And then it's a it's perfect comedic finish. To, like, actually, like, surprisingly, like, tense, dramatic scene.
1: Yeah, I'm surprised that I haven't seen uh, that particular shot as a meme all over yeah, like, right? social media because it is amazing. It's well shot. It's perfect for the moment. Right. Uh, of all- you know,
0: and amazing mean potentials that could have come out of that one.
1: Yeah, and it's Theon's sort of last, last moment before uh, it really takes before a dark turn Before things really take
0: a dark turn for him. And unfortunately, it ends, of course. Dagmir stabs Lewin with a spear after he comes out. Bran and Rickon and Osha and Hodor and them, they come out of the crypts. They discover that Winterfell has been burned to the ground. And this is the part that, again, it's left a little bit ambiguous because we last see the Ironborn leaving with Theon, obviously, presumably to hand him over to the Northerners before they go home, but then they come out, so it's never really made clear whether the Ironborn burned Winterfell or whether it was the forces led, you know, led by Ramsay, obviously, that burned them to the ground. So we don't actually see Ramsay in this until next season when he does the whole dog and pony show with Theon, but they go out, they find Lewin dying in the godswood, Lewin tells Osha to get them to Jon because it's not safe for them in the north anymore and they can't go south because there's too many enemies that way, they leave. He has um ocean kill kill him oh well, uh, yeah that him was him a off. great
1: scene too great where, where great Larry like you want milk of the poppy he's like god damn it I don't want Milk he's of like the poppy he's just like, make just it quick make it quick and it's, it's gonna be yeah. A he, lewin is uh L-
0: lewin is a northerner by heart he may be old and he may be yeah. a mazer, but he is a northerner by heart and he goes out just like one it's honestly like even though it ha- it's a death that happens off screen it's probably like the only good death that happens off screen in this show so R.I.P. Mason Lewin only two seasons but like a memorable character to say the least and it, it ends with like this really ominous shot of of the, the the four of them and the two dire wolves leaving, as you know, you just see the smoke billowing up from Winterfell, and it's it, it's a haunting sight to say the least. No, so, for sure, we cut for across sure. the Narrow Sea to Carth. We're finally getting wrapped up with hopefully the final. And, like, Index and Daenerys' just whole pointless journey, which is just her wandering around this one house, seeing a bunch of visions of the future. And, again, like I almost, I really hate Benioff and Weiss for this because this is an image that they pulled right from the books. And then we see it paid off in the worst way possible in the final two episodes of the show where she goes into the House of the Undying. She starts going through all these different rooms with all these different visions and seeing all this different crazy stuff. And then she actually has, the, again, this really, really touching mode. There's a lot of really touching and, like, heart, gut-wrenching moments in this episode. You know, the thing with Theon. You know, the whole thing with John and Corrin that happens. Um, what's it called? Uh, Tyrion and Shae, um, Arya and Jacket. Like, There's a lot of, like, really heartbreaking, like, emotional stuff, like Lewin's death. And this is one of them, where Daenerys goes north of the wall, sees a tent, and she sees, you know, a vision of Drogo holding her undead child. It- it's Jason Momoa's final appearance on the show. And it's really touching and heartfelt, because for a moment, she's almost fooled, and she's like, man, this is the life that I could have had if he had lived, and then she kind of realizes, she's like, I gotta put this aside, this is a vision, and she walks in, it almost, almost makes her just, Wandering around and just wasting all of our time in cart that almost makes it worth it. It almost does because of how. Well, I, I
1: will say these visions are, are good. The, the visions are good, yes. and uh, but then she leaves, and the warlock is there, back
0: and to, we have to go back to the warlock. And, 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 and I'm and, just like, okay. At this point, I'm like, burn this sucker down. And the good thing is that's exactly what happened.
1: So at, at this time, you're, you're looking at the clock, and it's like, you're just 50,
0: like oh, man, it's a literal it, like, we got to wrap this up.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's 52 minutes of a uh, 58 minute episode, and yeah, it's like, it's oh man, episode. we we got to get rid of this. <laughs> And it's it's just like this is gonna be your new home. We'll put you in chains next to your dragons. And then it's, I,
0: also, I love the excuse that he gives too, where it's just like also it's like oh, when your dragons reawaken, our magic was reborn. So I'm like wait, I'm just like, wait. Were you just like hunkering around, just like chilling in the dark in this weird tower for all of these hundreds of years with no with no magic, and all of a sudden it's like poof, your magic comes back. I am like, what? Just the thought of that in my head, I'm like, what the hell?
1: I don't know, but basically, it's they don't take any time to explain any of it, and then uh, once she's in chains, it looks like things are going to uh, go south for her. Yep. She basically uh, just nope. says Dracarus, you know, so-
0: "New sex mock it up!
1: Yeah, and then machina. the dragons just spit out some and fire. fire and- Quite
0: literally spitting fire!
1: yeah it's it's basically it's terrible it's, it's the, the warlock dies it's the chains hilarious. disappear it's, it's,
0: it's one of the biggest sources yeah. of comedy I think I've ever seen she may as well have literally just said instead of Drakar like Drakkar quite literally just becomes her deuce ex machina but she may as well have just literally said deuce ex machina and it ends of course they, they yeah. escape like no problem it just turns it's like okay so the minute that she killed this one warlock that like that was all the magic I'm like what Do they not have money to like pay more like actors to know. be as more warlocks like they we don't know. It, that there the, are more the, warlocks here
1: the main thing is like they just needed to get out of. Of this storyline, and I think that was the lamest part is the confrontation yeah. with the warlock because it happened so quick. It's like mic drop, uh cut to uh Zaro sleeping in sleeping, bed, with, and then with, like
0: they arrest him. They 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 bring him to his great friggin like safety. He's been bragging about and, all this. And this him, scene
1: nothing. is fantastic. So you know, good, it's, I love it. It's the fact is he's the king car. If he could do so much for her, but his you know vault is empty. And they decide to leave him and also.
0: And Doria, who of course betrayed Daenerys.
1: Exactly. In and the there's also a deleted scene that reveals that she's them.
0: actually the one that strangled Erie. You know, her Darth Rocky handmaiden that died a couple of episodes ago. And uh, yeah, they oh, locked that him totally inside.
1: makes sense. They they yep. set that they set that up, but they obviously didn't put that in the yeah.
0: show. Yeah. One of many, one of a couple. There's a lot of really good deleted scenes in this. Like if you ever get a chance, like I haven't checked them out. There's a couple of really really good ones that like miss the cut. And I'm like, damn. I almost wish this had been in there. But like I understood why they cut that one. But anyway, so then she locks him in the safe, and then they raid the rest of the castle, and they're like, oh, and they're like, okay, it looks real. It's like well, it was all fake, and it's like, well, yeah, but it's gold, so it'll at least buy us a ship, you know, and like, also, I love it too, this is the first of a couple is. this is where it's like, okay, so all the Dothraki were killed, but then all of a sudden, there's like more, and they're fine, and then they just disappear the next minute, and it's kind of like the same thing as what happened in the last season, where it's like, okay, so most of her Dothraki died in the fight against the night king but then there's more of them and then they just leave Westeros amicably, amicably. and i'm like oh yeah cuz that's what the dothraki do they just leave stuff like completely i, I, I don't know yeah there's, no basically
1: there's, a lot of tv shows do this you know um it, you know this is not a walking dead podcast but just watch that show where shit, right. uh, one zombie is walking like through the woods and you got eight people and it's like, oh, we can't possibly kill this one zombie. And then cut to like 50 zombies are now right yep. on top of them. Yeah, You know, it, it makes no sense. They, they come out of nowhere. It's it's really like
0: I call them plot zombies.
1: Yeah, it, it's one of those things. I guess it's it's the background extras. It's like it doesn't really matter if it's logical. It's like we're just going to jump into that shot and it, it's going to be what it is. So this is the same thing with all of a sudden Dothraki are showing up uh, and backing her up. Right. Uh, we don't have to know how she got more Dothraki. Um, They're just there. Just Apparently, apparently they survived. You yeah. Know, and, and also,
0: I love how this is the payoff also for that scene when it's like when the Dothraki were like sniffing around like all the different like jaded peacocks as far as like seeing how they could steal the jewels. And then the payoff for that is George is like, yes, raid all of them. Like continue to like tear down civilization. And I'm like, okay, cool. So mixed messages much? alright, but look, she's got the gold, she can pay for a ship, and we're going to see her sail off to Parts Unknown and actually finally become the badass geez, that she's, that has been so far been building up to, but like, I think that's the same thing to say as far as the card storyline, it's a waste of a storyline. There's a reason why it's one of the most criticized storylines, not only just within the show, but also kind of within the entire Game of Thrones lore. A, a lot of people have admitted that like nothing happens. I think even Martin has gone back and admitted it's like, yeah, this is one of the weaker storylines that I yeah, came up Well, with.
1: I think Danny in both seasons is, is weak. Uh, the only issue is um, with the second season, is it's it's basically all her. Right, there's no payoff. The, it's, the first, season it's the what her growth little. is. Right, the, the first, first season, season has a th-
0: payoff, as far as like her, like okay, she's coming into her own. She's this leader, and she actually learns and experiences what it's like as a leader. Before it's all stripped from her. This season, it's like. She doesn't actually get a chance to do that. She just kind of wanders around, yells a lot, and then goes and sees some pretty images before she uses her Deuce Ex Machina to kill the Warlock. And like, well, you, you have more character—you
1: have more character development in the first season because right. you have Jason Momoa, you know, his character. You have you have um, Jorah,
0: kind of like introducing her and like yeah, helping Jor- her understand like the customs exactly. of her people and everything. You have
1: her her brother, who's kind of a basically a big a hole, you know. Um, so for the most part. Uh, I'm just gonna say, like, there, there's a lot of pieces going on in Danny's storyline in the first season, and maybe it's not the best executed. Like, I think the the witch when they introduced that storyline, that That, that, that that's something weaker. It tanks, it tanks it it for me. But uh, in season two, there's really not that many moving pieces. It's really Danny, her dragons. Kind of arguing back and forth with Jorah, and you know uh, the war warlock Warlock. stealing the dragons, King Karth. Like none of none of the things really land. You don't get you don't get enough time to really think about it. It's uh, I don't know. It's just I guess the way way it's structured
0: the thing I'm still getting over, the thing I'm still getting over is just like freaking Zoro three episodes ago was like, I didn't see your dragons. And then the next scene be like, Hey, I saw your dragons. And then they just killed the 13. It's hilarious. It's no, just-
1: no. I, I think, I think, you know, the uh, the pieces that they have are, are good, but they just don't put it th- together. Th- they don't, there's they don't not enough screen together. time. No, There's not enough screen time. There's not enough development. And, you know, I get it. You know, there is, there's more important things to do this season, which was, you know, in King's Landing with Tyrion, with Stan, uh, you know, it's it's a very heavy Westeros season. Yes. Uh, Danny gets kind of put on the, the, on the back, you know, burner. back burner for sure. And, you know, we need to give her a storyline. It's not terrible, but it's not equal it's weight to every, everything else. And I think that's ultimately what the
0: problem is. Yes, definitely. But we're definitely going to see a lot of improvement next season once we get into her A Storm of Swords arc that happens over the next two seasons. Like, I'm definitely looking forward. I would probably say that of of all of Daenerys' seasons, her strongest, well, I'm not kind of the last two seasons because the last two seasons do everyone dirty. But her two strongest seasons as far as arcs go are probably seasons three and five, if I had to say, are probably my two favorites as far as everything with her goes. Now, we move on to the last storyline that we have for this episode and for this season. Kind of, I will say that this one is definitely. This entire arc was definitely the most set up because there was not necessarily a lot of bad stuff happening here, but, John. Definitely is another one that's kind of put heavily on the back burner this season as far as, okay, so he is primarily used to, to kind of introduce us to the cultures that are north of the wall and kind of set us up for the coming conflict as far as how the Wildlings are going to mix into the fray going forward as well as kind of like really, well, this is going to be the first major incident that we see of like the White Walkers in fourth because previously in the last season, we really only saw them in individual pocketed moments like the opening scene, obviously where we saw the White Walker kill the three Knights Watchmen and then obviously the scene later where the dead bodies were brought into the wall. But here, we have them marching towards the encampment. Karin manages to break free, knock out some of the wildlings. He, he fights with John, obviously in this big, grandiose stage mock fight. Uh, it happens a little bit differently in the books and the books ghost helps John kill Corin. But in this one, uh, John gets the upper hand. He knocks Corrin's sword aside and then Corrin kind of pauses him for a bit in order to let John stab him Then he can, before he dies. He kind of reminds him like, we are the watchers on the wall, like kind of reminding him of like why he did this for John and like what, what they're trying to do here as far as like reminding John that like, you know, don't lose track of where your loyalties lie. You know, it's a, yeah, it's a big, I also,
1: I also think, you know, that's a message to him where listen, you know, I just sacrificed myself in this fashion. Yeah, what are you going to do now? I am a watcher of the wall. Like, it, it is whatever it takes. And I think that's the dying message that he's conveying to John is uh, you are a member of the Night's Watch. It is whatever it takes.
0: Yes, and it kind of again it, it, it accomplishes them the thing that they're trying to do, which is that it tells the Wildlings that, you know, John can be trusted. This is a guy who they may be able to actually work with. Egret even says, is like, look, you when, when we get to Mance, tell him that that's the guy who killed Karin Halfhand, you know? And so they end up uh you know, he ends up cutting him loose and they they were literally like right there at the encampment and they kind of see over the cliff and there's these hundreds, like these just Waves and rows and rows yeah, of wildlings, and it's really probably
1: comprehend. one of the best moments of the uh, season two. Yeah. is is just revealing, you know how strong and massive uh, the
0: wildling like, army yeah, really wild things,
1: is. Yeah, exactly. It's it's one of those things where it's like, oh, you know that's where this has been leading, and this is going to be problematic for. The Night's Watch.
0: Yes, absolutely. Again, so so much so that it ends up taking two seasons before we actually get to see the battle. But it is absolutely well worth it because again the the battle of the wall, I think I've I i do not think I've emphasized this enough. I know that obviously on a technical scale, the hard home attack, the, the loot train attack, the battle of the bastards are technically better and bigger on a larger scale. But I still I, I have a really big soft spot in my heart for the for the battle of the wall and kind of just how that goes. But of course well, we have I, one- I think it's
1: just all the characters that are involved, uh, you know, in the Night's Watch and the wildlings uh, you know very good acting very good storylines like it's it's one of those things where anytime that you north of the wall for the most part, you know you're you're getting something juicy in this show. Uh, it, might be, uh, you know, the, the it might not be you know the uh, the biggest storyline. It might not be you know the bread and butter of the episode. Uh, but it's all the mystery that happens in the show, and it's all around the Night's King and what's happening, and you know it's it's leading to ultimately the finale of the series. Um, everything that happens north of the Wall. So, you know, it's it's like you get all this Game of Thrones that's happening, the backstab, you know, the, trying to get to the uh, throne... Uh, but ultimately, you have this Again, it's, it's it's meaningless. On.
0: It's meaningless because ultimately, this is where the conflict is. This is yeah. the true enemy, as is said by numerous people throughout the course of the show. And we see it, obviously, in the next sequence with Sam, Grant, and Ed. Uh, how long have they been digging this trench? I feel like they've been digging this trench and like tr- finding, you know, obviously shit in order to use for uh for wood and everything. I feel like they've been doing this for like at least a couple days now. But obviously, they hear the three horns blow. They were, obviously, we all, it's kind of the known thing north of the wall. One horn for rangers, two horns for for wildlings, three horns for White Walkers, and they both kind of realize like what danger they're in. They immediately run for it. They just leave Sam. They just leave Sam right there. They're like, "Fuck it, he's dead weight. We're going for it." And Sam, like, the snows immediately set in. Sam has to hide behind a rock. And the ending shot we see is just like of the White Walker just marching past the dead horses. We see kind of again very early on, like we see you know the early on White Walkers where again they're primarily they're moving slow. As I call like the White Walker version before they versions of the whites before they turn into like the 28 days later, like rage versions of the whites that we see later on. And we and the camera pulls back as we just see this massive force moving through the snow towards the fists of the first men as they begin to marshal on the, on the, the, the nights. Well, I just have two questions about this scene before we wrap up, which is one, How in the fuck does that tiny force of Night's Watchmen, how do any of them survive against this massive force of White Walkers? And two, why the fuck does the White White Walker leave Sam? I've been asking myself this question since I saw it originally. I'm like, okay, so Sam's a dead man here, obviously. I feel like there's so many instances where Sam is quite literally looking death in the face and it just like kind of passes by. Like, did it not consider him a significant threat? Like, like, what, what was the, what's the thought process for you there?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I, you know, I, again, every time I watch this, it's like, why did Sam not die? I I think I'm in the same boat as you. Uh, you know, I, I haven't, I just kind of like move past it. I'm like, okay, they just didn't kill him. You know, I, I don't try to overthink it because, you know, it's one of those things where like, you know, if if you look at the rest of the series, anytime a White Walker gets that close, you know you're pretty much dead. And in this case, it's like they just march past him, uh, easy peasy, no problem. Uh, the only thing, I guess, you know, this just popped into my mind, but um, you know, he had he was at Craster's, and you know, maybe maybe it had something to do with that. Is uh, true. That is true. The way he handled himself, uh, maybe the White Walkers were sort of watching or something like that. And, you know, it's like, oh, hey, you know, this is, you know, someone that's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm yeah, grabbing it. It's, it's really confusing. Here. It's a really confusing,
0: uh, but it's a really awesome shot. It's a really awesome way to end the episode. It's a really awesome way to end the season. I kind of like the bookmark between this and you know the between the beginning of last season and the end of this season, where it's like okay, the beginning of last season you saw like the inkling of the White Walkers. Now you see okay, this is the beginning. you are like okay, this is the setup for what the true enemy is. And obviously, we see the payoff. Obviously, three seasons later, in yeah, season. Five, I, I think you just really need
1: it. you just really need this to set up the fact that the White Walkers are a big enemy and. They're coming to dinner, you know. This is Yes uh,
0: indeed. This they're is like, the Who? Fact that,
1: food. Like- yeah, exactly. It's 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 one of those things where like they're going to be a problem going forward. Uh, they have an army. You know, it's not just like one or two of them kind of wandering around in the in the woods. It, it is a growing population and it's going to be significantly yeah. uh, difficult to take them on.
0: Yes, and yeah, I yeah. think
1: I think that's really what it is. This maybe the scene wasn't shot 100% where, you know, to me and you, it looks to you know make sense. Um, but maybe they just didn't see him, he was covered in snow, he saw them clearly. Uh a- end of the story. Right. Maybe maybe they had a more pressing mission uh and he was too much time for them.
0: Yes. Indeed. Who knows? Uh, who I, I knows? really don't know. Yeah, but that was it. That was season two. Again, there was so much that happened this season, but again, it sets up a lot of for the next season, and for the next couple of seasons obviously, we we saw our first major example of the War of the Five Kings. A lot more political maneuvering, a lot more characters introduced. Just This this, this was the season ultimately that showed, it's like, okay, so season one, we have our main characters, but now this is the scope. This is what we're dealing with now, as far as the coming conflict that we are going to be following for the next couple seasons, as far as the White Walkers, as far as the intrigue in uh, in King's Landing, as far as across the narrow sea, as far as we got our first look at kind of like more of the civilian life that we're going to continue to follow over the next couple seasons. All of that and more was set up this season and ultimately just upped the action factor as well, I think. So all of those and more, I would think ultimately makes season two definitely more of an engaging watch than season one. So that was... Our season two finale, people, Valar Morgulis will be back next week. We're going to be kicking off season three immediately afterwards. No break this time with season three, the season three premiere, Valar Dohairis. But let us know what you thought of season two in the comment section below. Let us know if you, if you, let us know if you have any suggestions as far as stuff that you would like to see us do in addition to the stuff that we've been doing next season, or if you just like the show the way it is. Pat, where can the good people find you?
1: Hey, listen, Dom, I'm here on Talking TV, Talking Thrones, obviously. And uh, hey, I, I keep saying this every week, but Instagram at Patrick W. Huber, I, you know, sometime we'll post. I, I, I think it will happen. Um, You know, I, maybe I had some photos the other day. I just never got to the app. But uh, hey, that's where you can find me.
0: Indeed, and you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Movie Note Reviews. Facebook and Instagram at Talking TV podcast, where we post every single day, twice a day, and of course, be sure to click the subscribe button, click the like button. That way, you guys can get notified every time we put up new content. Again, we've got Talking Thrones episodes every Sunday this week. We've got the Morning Show season two premiere that Chris and I did. We've got our Halloween first time watch series on Wednesdays, and of course, remember, people, Battle of the Thrones is always coming. Twelve seasons in a short film, and watch more fucking movies. We'll see you guys next time.